They call an illness a pandemic when it spreads across an entire country or the globe, as COVID-19 has done. Pan, as a prefix, means all or of everything. But the fallout of this pandemic, the collateral damage it will do beyond death and illness and medical bills, is also panoramic in the sense that it will affect or has the potential to affect everything from fixing the damn roads to funding the darn schools. We've been posting blogs to our website, crcmish.org, for a while now, detailing some of the fallout in specific areas. Today, we're going to try to sum them up as best we can. This is Facts Matter, the Citizens Research Council of Michigan podcast. Nancy Derringer, Communications Director for the Research Council, and in this podcast, we look at Michigan through a policy lens. Our discussions here are informed by our 104 years of experience doing nonpartisan, fact-based research on policy issues. We hope this podcast will serve as another way for the public to access our work, which is, as always, free and available to all at our website, crcmich.org. Today, I'm joined by two members of our staff. We have Craig Thiel, who is the director of research and uh, happens to have a specific uh, expertise in education funding, as well as the state in general. Welcome, Craig. Hello. And also uh, Jill Roof over in West Michigan, who is our local government's expert. Hi, Jill. Hi. Okay. Well, let's get started. Um, And perhaps we want to start with what is what is probably the biggest explosion in recent weeks, which is the staggering levels of unemployment, um, not just here, but around the country. Unemployed workers are entitled to support in the form of unemployment payments, which creates its own problem when the system isn't set up to handle a tsunami like this. But they're also not paying or paying as much in income taxes either. So what are the implications for the state? Uh, Craig, why don't you take this one? Right. Um, Well, there was a little bit of good news, at least in the private sector, in that uh, the May job numbers uh, bumped up a little bit uh, through um, uh, April. uh, The state had lost almost a million jobs from where it was in the private sector uh, compared to February, so this has been a uh, you know a massive uh, hit to um, the workforce in terms of employment and obviously wages. Um, people who are out of work uh, are eligible to receive unemployment, um, and with the federal uh, government stepping in and enhancing those payments to to help people uh, make ends meet, that that's helpful. But um, for the state government. Fewer people working, uh, less money coming in and wages means less income taxes. And with less income taxes, that means a smaller budget. So uh, the state budget has been revised downward significantly since um, the original estimates were made back in January. And uh, now as a result, we're looking at, uh, you know, billion dollar uh, shortfall in the general fund and an equal uh billion dollar shortfall in the state school aid fund. And a lot of that is attributed to the, you know, the income tax reductions arising out of the uh, high unemployment in Michigan. I think we're at about um, uh, 14% unemployment right now in the state. 
which, um, you know, is compared to the Great Recession, I think the highest we ever got was maybe 9%. Right. That was a, uh, that w- you talked about how the job numbers are ticking up a little bit with kind of the slow reopening of the economy. Um, but this is not anywhere near the, v- the hoped-for V-shaped recovery yet. It's more, um, I think the description I heard was the Nike swoosh. You know where you have the the downstroke and then sort of a sort of forty five degree gen, gentle um, trend upward from that, but we do have um, at least a tentative budget deal now. I understand. Uh, yes, that's a budget deal for the remainder of the current fiscal year. Uh, nothing uh, for the next fiscal year, which just begins in a few short months. So. Um, kind of taking a triage approach to addressing these uh, these fiscal problems at the state level. Right, yes. So the state is not the only entity that collects uh, income tax in the state of Michigan. Uh, there are several cities that also do that, like Detroit. Um, perhaps, uh, Jill, you can talk a little bit about what the loss of city income tax is going to mean to cities like Detroit and um, and the others. Jill? Yes. Um, 24 cities, including Detroit, levy a city income tax, and the impact on these cities is likely to be pretty big. They rely pretty heavily on income taxes, the cities that levy them. I think we found they average about a one-third of city general fund revenue. Um, city income taxes are the Detroit's largest source of revenue, um, so the decline in income taxes should have a pretty big effect on these cities. Um, and something unique to city income tax is unemployment insurance benefits are not taxed under the city income tax, even though they are under the state and federal taxes, um, making the impact a little bigger for city income taxes. Wow. So that's quite um, that's going to be quite a blow for not just Detroit, but also, like you said, the 20, the other 23. Yeah. And a lot of these are cities that have a unique situation where perhaps they have a lot of um, a business um, a core with a lot of suburban people who kind of commute into work. And so they try to to collect some of that from from um, from there, like Battle Creek, for instance, correct? Yes, yes. You have cities like Battle Creek or like um, Lansing, who has the state government. They have a headquarters where you bring a lot of people in to work. Okay. All right. So it's not, it's, this is by no means um, every uh, major or metro area in the state, but certainly the ones that have um, reason to do this. Okay. Now, speaking of Detroit, it has a unique hole in its boat and it is a big one. And that is the utter loss of casino revenues, which amount to a jaw-dropping, at least for me, $600,000 a day, daily drain on its revenues. Now, the casinos may reopen, sort of, soon, but they're closed systems. They have uh, no windows, and I'm sure that the... um, ability to do social distancing and and the kind of things we're seeing in other reopening businesses are going to be pretty limited. So they're very unlikely to be at capacity or even close to it. Um, Jill, do you have anything uh, to say about that? 
Um, yeah, yeah. Like you said, it's it's a huge uh, revenue loss for the city of Detroit. I think um, the casino wagering tax is the city's second largest source behind the income tax, at least of their own source revenue. Um, you know, and they've been closed since March. The city has been losing, like you said, five hundred, six hundred thousand dollars in tax revenue a day. Um, it's just that's that's huge. I just yeah, it is huge, and I just I find it astounding that it's that that just, that, that that amount just just fell off the table. I mean that that money mm-hmm. simply isn't there anymore. Um, I know there's been some discussion of how they might reopen safely. Um, they might try to do something remote. I know they want to. They're really eager to get the sports book going now that they have um, that ability. But uh, but that all remains kind of an unwritten. Um, e- an yeah. Right now. Yeah. It'll it'll be interesting to see what happens and how they open. Um, yeah. Just yeah. the idea of gambling and the drinking and everything that goes along there. It seems like they won't be at capacity for a while. No, I don't think so. I think you know people, and I know a lot of people like to gamble, but it, it for many more it's it's entertainment, and I think that you know people have to balance the risk of um, of entering a uh, um, a casino with. And, and untold number of other people who may or may not be sick, but anyway, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, Detroit is also Michigan's largest city and a place lots of people visit, particularly in the summertime, like now. Um, even in normal times, we hear a lot about the economic impact of these events. Uh, this summer, just this summer alone, we lost the auto show. Um, the Tigers did not start playing in April. And uh, we could go on. You know, what about those losses and that in other Michigan cities that have uh, summer economic activity, too? Because this is not just a Detroit problem. Craig? Right. Um, and, And a lot of these events won't be made up necessarily in the future. So you can't go and double up on the auto show or, you know, go uh, play Tigers games that weren't played. They're just going to have a shortened season. And um, for communities across the state, these uh, uh, major events uh, do bring in big dollars. And, you know, it's dollars that wouldn't otherwise uh, happen, economic activity that wouldn't otherwise happen in those communities. Uh, but for the the events, so you know, it's not that the residents of those communities are spending their dollars and then just going to at the Tigers game, and now we're going to spend it somewhere else. It's people coming into the city to spend those dollars to generate economic activity, and then all the spinoff effects that they have. And you know, I don't need to remind listeners that we are um, you know kind of a, a state that relies on tourism too, and we have huge segments of uh, the, the state that uh, rely on the summer tourism season, uh, hotels, restaurants, bars, and with capacity being cut down in those public spaces, uh, people hesitant about traveling, staying in hotels, that all means uh, impacts, you know, for that, uh, that industry as well. Um, you know, no one's uh, that I know of has quantified this, but, uh, you know, it's showing up indirectly in terms of, uh, you know, employment um, and spending, uh, consumer spending uh, across the state. So it'll have a real and noticeable impact. 
And like I said at the, the beginning here, it's not like we can just turn around and have, you know, this year's auto show, you know, right. When this is all over. We're, we're, we're hopeful yeah. to have next year's auto show and, 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 you know, what that looks like, we don't know yet, depending on how, you know, the, the virus uh, is under control uh, a year from now. Right, exactly. I mean, you know, you just think of, say, one Tigers game, you know, where you have uh, tens of thousands of people traveling into the city, um, some from within the city, but probably most are coming from outside. They have, um, you know, they come in, they park, they they eat, they, you know, have a couple hot dogs, they buy some beer. Um, the players on the field, uh, whether they're locals or not, they're paying income tax on the money that they earned during that game. Um, it's a very complex ecosystem, and when when it just falls into a hole in the earth, there's just you know there's no way to to uh, to take to get that back. Like you said, so I mean that's that's another huge thing. So all right, um, so. Here's another uh, big area of concern. Um, we three are able to work from home and are fortunate to be able to do so. And, uh, and we did so since the middle of March. But we also likely found ourselves spending less money these past few weeks. Um, stores were closed. Restaurants were not closed, but it was less convenient to visit one because you had to get carry out. Um, and there were simply fewer opportunities to spend, which means much less sales taxes being collected. And which institutions are hurt most by that? Public schools. So, Craig, tell us what's going on with the school aid fund. Right. So, you know, you set it up, uh, spending's down, you know, thankfully uh, many people uh, have been able to work from home and haven't seen a uh, a cut in their, you know, their take-home pay. But as we talked about early on, there's a lot of people who are unemployed. And so spending's down among them as well, because they don't have the wages coming in to support that spending. Um, so it doesn't uh, really matter if, you know, you're unemployed and not spending or you're working from home and not spending. Um, the bottom line is uh, consumer spending is down, um, especially on, you know, taxable items, uh, big ticket items, uh, you know, home improvement type stuff, equip, you know, uh, appliances, whatnot, but also, as you mentioned, uh, going out, uh, restaurants, bars, uh, that, that spending's down, and that sales tax revenue that would be coming into the state and funneling into public schools uh, is, is declined. And we've seen, um, you know, uh, school districts uh, have had to shut down so uh, to, to, to respond to the virus, um, but that doesn't mean that they're not educating uh, kids, they're still educating kids. We're still paying teachers, um, but with fewer dollars. Um, as of right now, uh, the schools have not been dealt a, uh, a, a t impact on, on the reduction in sales tax revenue. Uh, the budget agreement that came out uh, earlier this week more or less keeps schools whole for the, uh, the remainder of this year, uh, but they are bracing themselves for the, the impact of, of state budget cuts uh, for next year, um, anywhere between six and seven hundred dollars per kid. So these are not small reductions. These are these are major hits. Uh, schools are going to have to go back to the drawing board. Um, 
and uh, sharpen their pencils and, and come up with their their uh, adjusted budgets. And I should note this is all, you know, in the context of a learning environment or having to implement a, a learning environment that they've never, uh, you know, worked in before. And that would be something that's safe for the kids, safe for the staff, um, uh, controlling um, who comes in and goes out of schools. Um, and with that is additional costs. And so the districts are going to be hit with a, a reduction in funding as well as added costs. So it's not a good mix uh, if you're a uh, in the public education uh, field right now. That's, that is an understatement right there. So is there any, I mean, this has been an awful lot of bad news and crepe hanging, but um, there may be one part of state and local uh, finances and revenue that has not been hammered by this pandemic. And um, here I turn it over to you, Jill, because you've written about this. And what is that? Yes, um, that is, we expect property tax revenues will probably remain fairly stable. Um, in order to understand what might happen, we looked at the, all the recessionary periods over the past 50 years and found that really other than the Great Recession of, oh, what, 10, 12 years ago, um, where property that was connected to the financial crisis and the real estate market and property values just tanked. That was the only period where we saw um, severe drops in property tax revenue. Other recessionary periods, property taxes remained stable. They might not have grown as quickly, but they didn't decline, which is good news for local governments in Michigan. Right. And so, I mean, because that's something that, that is the major funding of local governments, Yes, um, the one, at least particularly for the ones that do not um, have an income tax. So that's, uh, I mean, you know, yeah. at, least, at least that will probably be stable. So unless we have, well, let's let's not even go there yet. <laughs> unless, yes, yes, <laughs> there there are caveats. We don't know what will happen, but if if history repeats itself, they should remain fairly stable. However, they we should point out that cash flow and revenues in the short term. Um, could be impacted should people or businesses be unable to pay taxes due to unemployment or business closure. Um, and two bills have recently passed the state House and Senate that would allow for deferment of the summer 2020 property tax payments. Um, but they would also create a program for the state to cover the cash flow shortages created by deferments. Okay. So more, more, um, I really feel like we have been um, pushed out of the um, airplane and we're f trying to build a parachute on our mm -hmm. way down. <laughs> so, you know. so oh, I, I, I agree. Ahead, I please. mean, uh, this is uh, whether it's finances or how govern government operate or, you know, everyone is, is largely flying by the seat of their pants here, um, you know, and I don't uh, relish uh, being in the position of a governor or a, a mayor of a city or a CEO of a business because there's just really, there was no playbook for any of this. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, leaders are doing the best they can um, in this environment, um, but, you know, they really don't have any history uh, to rely on in, 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 in terms of moving forward, developing a plan and, you know, marshalling the resources uh, to get through this. So it's, it's real challenging time, no doubt about it. And there's, there's a, probably there was, there a was, great was, amount of unknown more than uh, what we know about this. 
Absolutely. And we, I mean, we, you could see that yesterday in the governor's plan for school reopening, which I mm-hmm. think every single parent of a school-aged child was watching, you know, like, like it was, uh, you know, the most important thing in the world to them because it is. And, you know, but that's a whole nother podcast. Um, you know, we learn this every time the legislature talks about road funding. Motor fuels in Michigan are also subject to sales tax. But there are also taxes levied for road maintenance, and we have discussed, been discussing this for years now. Um, I don't know about you two, but I think I have bought two, maybe three tanks of gas since all of this began, just because I'm driving less, I'm not commuting, um, I'm basically going to and from the grocery store and a couple of other places, and that's about it. So how much less at a time when we all agree that the damn roads need fixing, how much less do we estimate the state is going to have to do so? Craig? Uh, simple answer, a lot less. Um, okay. You know, uh, you, you, you kind of sketched it out. Uh, you know, we have a system where the users of the infrastructure pay for its use through taxes at the pump. Um, as well as sales taxes that are collected on those um, on those fuels. Of course, the f- sales tax don't go to the uh, transportation purposes; they go to schools. But uh, you know, the taxes that are collected and go to roads uh, is declining because people are driving less. And um, what that means is, you know, a already bad problem with our our roads, which you know has been uh, kind of the ongoing. Um, debate in Michigan, how to fix the the roads and how to pay for it is going to have to wait until in all likelihood, this pandemic is kind of in the rear view mirror, whenever that might be. Um, And I I would add, it's not just the current taxes that are declining that will reduce the uh, amount of funds that we have to, to address roads, but part of the transportation package that was uh, enacted uh, about four years ago uh, allocated a big chunk of the state general fund to uh, road infrastructure um, in lieu of raising taxes, uh, thinking that the budget could handle uh, a $600 million diversion every year to go to roads. Um, Most uh, budget watchers are saying that that money will be redirected back to the budget to solve this, you know, billion dollar problem we have and that the roads won't get that 600 million. So, you know, even the money that we've earmarked for roads probably isn't going to go there. And we, in all likelihood, won't see a a tax increase anytime soon, given the fact that we're in a recession and and people's ability to, you know, pay higher taxes when they're out of work or uh, working less is just greatly reduced. Right, exactly. So, so, right, enjoy, so um, enjoy your trips to the uh, repair shop because uh, <laughs> you'll change. be making some more of those. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's <laughs> do we have a white knight in any of this? Um, I know the federal government has passed the CARES Act, which has been um, very helpful in covering some of these um, utterly unexpected, extraordinary costs. Uh, but what, you know, what about going forward if this lasts a while, if, 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 if we find ourselves living this way for another year or two years or God forbid beyond, I mean, is there, is there any, is there any white knight coming to, to at least lend us a hand? Either of you? 
Well, I, I can uh, offer my thoughts. I mean, the federal government is the only entity that can, and, and it's intended to, to serve this purpose, um, you know, to operate, uh, to bail out, uh, to support whatever words you want to use, state and local governments when they fall on hard times. Um, they can do this by basically, you know, printing money, issuing debt, printing money, what have you, um, and, and sharing that with uh, states. They've done it already uh, quite substantially. The $2 trillion CARES Act uh, goes out to you know individuals uh, to help them, but also state and local governments to help with new costs associated with the the virus. Um, local leaders, state leaders are are petitioning Congress and lobbying Congress for further aid um, because, believe it or not, two trillion dollars isn't enough, and you know it, it it likely isn't as we're staring at these budget shortfalls for schools and, and the state. Um, I don't know if Jill has some thoughts about the, the local government uh, on this front. Um, yeah, I mean, I I don't think we know what's going to happen at this point, but the federal, you know, there's lots of organizations calling, like the National League of Cities, um, calling for some substantial federal aid to local governments. Um, right now, you know, with the CARES Act, only local units with 500,000 population or more receive, receive direct aid, and that aid is limited to pandemic-related expenditures, um, not to backfilling revenue shortfalls. Um, so there's calls the National Governors Association, National League of Cities. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but, you know, $250 billion in aid are some of the numbers, you know, what I'm, what I'm remembering to help local governments that are, you know, facing huge revenue shortfalls that six, even six months ago were completely unexpected. Exactly. So, wow. Well, <laughs> on that cheerful note, <laughs> we will uh, we will wrap up, and that will do it for this edition of Facts Matter, the Citizens Research Council of Michigan podcast. Remember, the Council operates as a public resource, and all of our papers, along with blogs, op-eds, and other resources, are available for download on our website, crcmich.org. We operate as a nonprofit, thanks to Michigan's corporations, foundations, and generous individuals like you. If you'd like to make a donation, go to our website, crcmich.org, and click the Get Involved tab on the homepage. We also welcome feedback, which you can send via email to crcmish at crcmish.org. Craig, Jill, thank you for taking time out of your day to talk to me from our various uh, locations around the troubled uh, but still beautiful state of Michigan. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. And I'm Nancy Derringer. And until next time, I leave you with this observation by our founding president, Lent Upson. The right to criticize government is also an obligation to know what you're talking about.